What is up, everyone? What is up, my friend? I am Charlie Shrem, and you are listening and watching another epic episode of Untold Stories, where together, twice a week, we get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders to truly, truly understand how this movement came to be, where we are right now, and where we're going. Today, I'm joined by my good friend and, and new uh, uh, Tampa resident. It's good to have you in, in South Florida. Uh, New Goldstein, CTO of Celsius. Good to have you on the show. Thank you. Actually, I'm not even going to use these headphones anymore. How are you? How's your day going? Who needs headphones? 2022, right? That's what I say. Um, <laughs> I actually learned something interesting about technology. So you, you're a seasoned software developer, architect, innovator, entrepreneur in cutting-edge technologies. You've done everything from AI to IoT. You've studied computer science at Technion in Haifa, which is an amazing school. I have a lot of friends who went there and end up doing a lot of cool things. You also hold black belts in Kempo Karate and Jiu Jitsu, which is really, really cool. You've done a lot of different things from uh, business to working on like pro-social society type stuff. But really like the backbone, it seems to me for you that technology is what gives hu humanity our rights. Like that's how we control ourselves and protect our future. Yeah, absolutely. Um... First of all, thanks for having me, man. This is uh, exciting. Charlie Shrem. Oh my yeah. God. I'm kidding. Um, I feel the look, same way uh, when I meet all of my guests. Yeah. yeah. It's exciting. You have to understand my, my wife, when, when I started Celsius, she, well, any other company that I started, she didn't really care. I mean, as long as, uh, you know, I'm happy, she's happy, you know, uh, she lets me do my crazy you know, entrepreneurship stuff, building, creating companies, never complained that, you know, you should uh, work in a cubicle and retire at uh, 65, you know, so it's, it's a weird life to be an entrepreneur, you know, it. but she never really was interested in Bitcoin or crypto at all. She kind of liked, you know, that we're doing well, but uh, yeah. The, the point where this turned and she started showing interest is when she read Bitcoin Billionaires. I actually made her read that book and she was in what love. What a great book. <laughs> so she was super excited to meet you. And um, and look, yeah, I was thinking about it this morning. Entrepreneurs are not normal people, right? You know, all of us could have had much safer, much, uh, uh, you know, most of us better life, right? 90% of all the startups fail, right? Miserably. Uh, I knew I knew entrepreneurs who had to uh, sell their car just to keep the company uh, running because we're dreamers. We're, uh, you know, and it, so it's not about the money and, and the fame yeah. of it. Of course, it's in the back of your mind. You always want a big exit and you have the, your name in the paper. But I think what, what drives you is to make an impact and, and to make an impact on the world and have some bug in your head that you want to change something. And I started my entrepreneurship with uh, a company, a company I called the Carbon Project, which was uh, in geo, geospatial information, meaning maps and geographic data. And it was born actually from 9-11. I saw on the news that a lot of agencies could figure out uh, where the terrorists are coming and what they're planning if you only shared information between them. So that's how I started my career as an entrepreneur 20 plus years ago. And uh, ever since, every time I saw a problem and, and I thought I could fix it, it became a company. And um, I was lucky enough in 2017 when uh, Alex uh, Mashinsky approached me with the 
with the white paper that you wrote uh, for Celsius. And my reaction to that white paper, I read it. I said, this is very interesting, but, but it's crap. And he said, well, what do you mean it's crap? So the idea was unbelievably great, but there was not enough technical beef in it. So I, I got so excited about this. My mind start, started running. I come from you know, peer-to-peer -peer networks and stuff like that. So the technology of it really uh, excited me. And I went to the uh, basement and I came up with uh, some ideas. And as funny as it sounds, the original ideas were very similar to what DeFi is today in terms of lending based on smart contracts and everything. And that's how Sensu started. So, and then we took it uh, from, uh, from this into a more CFI oriented uh, solution. Uh, but the bottom line is that we always, always worked for our depositors. So depositors are our customers, the people who transfer their cash for us to handle. These were the guys we're working for. And that yeah. was very, very different than anyone else uh, was, was doing. Everybody was, how do we squeeze our guys for more cash and you know, take another dollar or liquidate them, et cetera. I want to ask you about the mapping and all of the mapping software in a second, but I also want to kind of go back and talk about like the importance of Satoshi. And you you studied uh, probably a lot of religion, understanding uh, how religions and markets and economies go into effect over thousands of years. Do you think like the Bitcoin white paper would ever be in some like canon of holiness? Do you think that what we all stand for over the long term? could be seen as like the modern day version of a new religion in a way. Well, I'm, I, I have a bit of a controversial uh, position. I'm not a very spiritual guy. I'm a very pragmatic, uh, you know, kind of, uh, I believe in physics. I don't believe in afterlife or anything, but I think religion was an amazing startup because religion was, in my opinion, let's put the, you know, the metaphysical stuff aside. The religion by itself was designed to organize people. So people, people were savages back in the day. They were, a, yeah. Yeah, there was a few, you know, smart people who, who, who thought of a way to organize them, make sure they eat the right stuff and behave the right way. And what is better to do that than to uh, make sure they're afraid of going the wrong way, you know, set the right path as they saw it and, and, and scare them. Not to do the right thing. So I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not getting into is there a God or no God. But I think on that aspect, what Satoshi did, and it's not just what he did and the problem that he solved. That was, by the way, a lot of uh, uh, you know, uh, cipher funds and 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 software engineers and software science guys thought that the problem cannot be solved uh, for the longest time, and. The way Satoshi solved the problem of, of you know, a decentralized money uh, was amazing, but it's beyond that. The, the social impact of it, the, the, the timing of it is perfect. And, and you know, who knows? Maybe some sort of, not, I don't, I don't want to say religion. Well, you're talking about like, let's just forget the word religion, but we talk about the uh, reorganization of people. You just kind of agreed with yourself there because we are going through now the largest reorganization of people in, 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 since, I don't know, since like, since like the creation of 
Uh, I don't even know. I don't even know what to compare since the invention of sliced maybe, bread. Maybe, maybe John Lennon was right, right? Imagine there's no countries, no religion. <laughs> you know, you know the song Imagine. So yeah, imagine like that, all right? the people living. I forget don't the make words. Thing. You, you don't want to scare you. Maybe the editors uh, can play it right now, but then I'll have to pay a royalty for that, which I don't mind right doing. Exactly. So maybe we could play that song for like thirty seconds. It's a so good song. I think Actually, John maybe Satoshi. Who knows? Maybe he inspired the whole thing. We will be having some music soon. I'm very excited. Um, I got in touch with a guy. He's been a Bitcoin OG for many, many years. His name's Aaron Koning, and he's written like dozens and dozens of songs about Bitcoin and crypto, mostly Bitcoin. So I was talking to him, and he's gonna allow me to start using his music for the show, maybe just to play it at the end. It's his. I love Bitcoin music. I'm like, I have a Spotify playlist of all Bitcoin songs. And speaking of which, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Saudi Arabia for making me in their top 100 charts. Mexico, South Korea. Germany and Great Britain this week. You guys had me in the top of your charts. Thailand and Luxembourg. You guys are amazing. I get, we get listeners from all over the world. Macedonia. Um, you guys are the best. Ukraine. I've been following what's going on over there. And uh, thanks for listening to the show. So everyone, you know, I really appreciate. Crypto unites us all, right? Yeah. So we one we one big family all over the world. And it's funny thing in Celsius we we basically did not limit ourselves to one country from the start by design. Said so we open it to everyone. And then you know obviously working with regulators and all that. But wherever we could open it, we opened it. And we have like 170 countries. It's it's crazy. You know I think that I think we even having someone in Antarctica we're using Celsius. Yeah. But the, just just the globality of things is 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 amazing yeah. what uh what parallels can you draw between like you know you were talking about the de-siloed mapping software after 9-11 and then that those technologies and the agencies didn't really talk to each other are there comparisons to that with like a multi-chain world a multiple blockchain world a uh, a blockchain world where interoperability or is it going to be where all they're all like de they're all siloed um, and it also really parallels to traditional finance. Like that was broken for so many years. And until 2009, we didn't think it was unbreakable. Yeah. No, that, that's a great question. I, I don't think anyone ever asked me, but I have a lot to say. About I'm just this. curious. That's so cool. Cause I, I love, <laughs> I just go on Google maps and play around all day. I, I just yeah. remember as a kid, 2011, 12 playing with all the mapping software I bought, I would be that guy who went to Staples and bought the dongle to plug into your laptop to get GPS so you could do Microsoft streets or something, whatever it was. Yeah. I just love that idea of GPS. And I, I knew that was technology of connecting all humans to the internet. At the end of the day, we're going to figure out a way for all of our brains to directly communicate with each other. Cause that's the most efficient way possible. But until then yeah. huge yeah. financial opportunities will exist. But back to my question. Sorry. Yeah. So, so the, the, I think there's some parallels, obviously you cannot, uh, you know, sometimes it's potatoes, tomatoes, but I think there are some parallels on how technology uh, and, and, and problems that technology can solve, how they're, they're handled. In, in mapping, uh, there was a lot of the decentralization and versus centralization. Google Maps is basically centralization of mapping. When I worked with it, there's a lot of people doing things with maps and in the, the world that I lived in, the consortium, the Open Geospatial Consortium, uh, they try to create a common language between them. 
So you can you can draw parallels to multiple blockchains and bridges and stuff like that, which is a different approach, but similar problem in a sense. Uh, but I, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, at some point, I was uh, I, I got a grant from the National Science Foundation, the NSF, and and that was an interesting uh, project that actually drew me to the blockchain because that project was actually after uh, Hurricane Katrina. And when Hurricane Katrina hit in uh, New Orleans, one of the things that happened is that all infrastructure died. There were no cell phones, there was no internet, there was no communication between first responders. And my idea was, hey, wait a minute, why do we need ISPs? Why do we need internet? Let's just put antennas on fire trucks and have these antennas basically use a peer-to-peer -peer network with one of all the cell phones. So all the cell phones basically have Wi-Fi, right? And why do we need ISP to communicate? Yeah, that's we, a good point. Why do, why do you? Yeah. Right? And uh, I actually demoed it and I got the grant, but it was too science fiction for people. They didn't understand how it was because it was what we call survivable peer-to-peer -peer network. And the survivable peer-to-peer -peer network means you have like, let's say me, you, and someone else, and I need to contact that someone else is out of my range of my phone, of the antenna. I use you as a proxy. Uh, and guess what? This was the base for some of the peer-to-peer -peer, uh, technologies that drive uh, the, some of the blockchains, right? And what people didn't understand back then that every Windows system, Microsoft actually hid that technology in the Windows system. I just found a way to leverage oh, wow. that. And yeah, it was fun times. It was way ahead of its time. Uh, today we have, uh, you know, uh, internet everywhere and satellites and, and that the technology is not really needed. But I think what I can take from that is one, decentralization and ideas around that decentralization, survival and independency were always there. Um, and I think the other takeaway is that somebody asked me once if what happens if an EMP shuts down all the internet with Bitcoin and survive? And I said, yes. We go to lead <laughs> box. Yeah, we'll, we'll find a way to communicate, right? We'll, uh, and if we can communicate, we can run Bitcoin, you know, and other blockchains, right? So that's my takeaways. Yeah, there's you can build certain types of rooms and homes and houses that an EMP couldn't really. Well, I don't. If I start talking about something I don't know, people are going to start messaging me like, "What are you talking about? <laughs> You're educating on EMPs." Yeah. There's I don't know anything, but it's kind of cool. Electromagnetic pulse. That that to me that. I thought that's what would take down like a future society, but now I understand we can, we can, humanity is really good at figuring out ways to make sure that it moves forward. Like you said, with, you know, humanity was at potential, like it was going to fall apart and religions organized people, maybe through the tech world, humanity was going to fall apart. And if we didn't have decentralized technology, it kind of brings it all together. Yeah. What do you think? One thing I always, yeah. For sure, I know is that the future is weird. I, I don't know really, but but humans are durable. But humans always find ways to overcome and survive. So it's pretty remarkable. What do you think Bitcoin specifically, Bitcoin's role in like the whole macroeconomic landscape? You see nation states, central banks, everyone is taking a position. Uh, it's kind of uh, changing from the Bitcoin of, of 10 years ago. You, you remember like, uh, I don't know, 10 years ago, I can tell you three or four years ago when people came to us and said, look, this is a problem looking for a solution, a solution looking for a problem, right? You know, nobody understood 
the 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 death of all this all these things we talked about the, the social order and and this is the biggest problem just under our nose and we couldn't articulate it hey look there's a problem with it's bigger than corona it's bigger than wars it's a broken financial system that's that's like the dna of us i think what bitcoin proved and i i still remember like people saying you know it's probably going to be hacked it's coming it's coming down it wouldn't be able to scale it's too slow and every day that passes people just run out of excuses not to use it right and uh, i think the most remarkable thing is that things are moving so fast and people didn't even notice we have a whole country <laughs> using bitcoin as a legal tender now what happens when you have a second and third and fourth countries and they start trading among themselves with Bitcoin and they don't no longer dependent on the dollar or the, uh, you know, the clearing uh, systems and, and everything all of, all of a sudden is more efficient and everything works and other countries see that it works. So it, it's too late for them to send the, the you know, the war machines, the, the yeah. right? <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, a, it happens. It is, it is disheartening though, because we do a lot of lobbying. We we meet with the politicians. We we talk to everyone. People become Bitcoiners. The press is on our side. But then just like the flip of a switch, Russia one day wants to ban it. Then now it's regulating it. China is kicking it out. The U.S. is now going to regulate it, maybe for national security reasons. I read these articles last night. I don't even know what that means. I have no comment on, on some of the, What does that mean they're going to regulate for national security issues? It's so vague. It seems like... It's just press releases that get issued by some centralized body to just like push push this whole community down and make us really sad. Do you see that happening too? Yeah, I, I think the media is, is a bit of uh, you know a tough case in the in the modern society. It, it kind of a, it's it's an echo chamber of very very marginal and very uh, <laughs> you know bad ideas and 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 bad behavior and and you probably see you're you're you're, you're out there yeah. on twitter and like there's a million people who love you and there's one guy who starts yelling bullshit and lies and stuff like that and everybody's talking about that so to me this is kind of like that i think that bitcoin crypto blockchain decentralization will happen with or without russia as we proved with china right i, I think they're going to getting some cold feet i don't know about their decisions but I think at the end of the day, let we talk about regulations in the US, the regulators have one job, which is to protect the people. It's not a national security for them, it's protecting people. And, and, and they have to be careful not to become a blunt weapon. Uh, they have to uh, do their job, make sure people are not getting scammed, that bad people are in jail, and good people can do what they do. Um, look, I, 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 I talked with the, uh, uh, you know, somebody who's a regulator and then moved to something else. And he gave a whole lecture about regulations and stuff. And I was like nodding my head the whole time. He came to me and says, you knew from Celsius. He said, yes, I see you didn't agree with me much. I, said, <laughs> I don't think you're a bad guy. I think, I think regulators actually have good guys there. I, I just think you're focusing on the wrong thing because by the time you're done figuring it out, something else will be born. That was before DeFi started coming point. into play. Yeah, yeah, they're kind of always playing on the defensive. Yes, yes. And and, and, and makes, look, yeah. And remember in 2006, they tried to regulate voice over IP. They said how oh, it will kill all the jobs, right? You really? 
I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't realize this was such a big thing. Yeah, Google uh, 2006 voice of IP, and you see that all the AT&Ts and Verizon they went to Washington and said, look, guys, if you let this technology take over, we're going to lose a lot of jobs. This is going to be harmful. It's a national security thing. Really? Yeah. And imagine a world in Corona without voice over IP, you know? Yeah, but the thing is, how many voice over IP startups were there? Millions, Vonage, so many. And then they were doing commercials at the height. And then just like that, voice over IP was co-opted by the yeah. Verizon, AT&T, and whoever yeah. else around the world, T-Mobile and all those. So how do we prevent? That's scary because you have this amazing technology, voice over. You could basically turn move the whole phone networks on top of the internet. But at the same yeah. time, it got looked at as so dangerous. I remember... All of the, the the media around that saying, "Oh, nine one one can't come to you. The police and the ambulance can't come to you with voice over IP. Take it out of your house." And it was like exactly. a really scary thing. They were like, "Same they thing with Bitcoin weirdest, today." The weirdest oh, reasons. Yeah. So history repeats, and and it by does. the way, that was not that far, you know, fifteen years ago, right? So I'm saying history repeats itself. You know, the incumbents will always try to fight. You know. I can find like a hundred other examples. But the history. difference is, so yeah. imagine a voice over IP and the technologies around it had communities and tokens. Would those mm -hmm. communities and tokens have survived a ban or whatever happened and the technology was then co-opted by these larger corporations? Like now it's different because there's a relationship between the consumer. There's this token. There's, and I believe the 721 standard type of token, the NFT will completely replace the ERC-20 standard across all blockchains. So all tokens will be, every single token will be NFTs at some point. But, and so that's the future from voting to everything. I just don't, I'm trying to figure out how that's co-opted. I'm trying to figure out how the world and the governments harmonize this, what's been happening in the past 10, 15 years. Well, at the end of the day, look, most people in the world, they don't care about anything we say right now. They don't know. They don't know <laughs> Thanks. All right. I'll see you guys later. Yeah. So what do they care about? They care about things being faster, cheaper, better, right? And you get them faster, better, better cheaper things, they will use them. Um, you know, luckily for us, the banks did a great job of becoming a hated uh, middleman, right? Yeah. It, it wasn't always like this. It's 2008, right? People, we have a whole generation that grew up on seeing their family getting wrecked. You know, I, I've seen it. I lived in Boston back then. I seen. Uh, neighbors of mine getting completely wrecked. A neighbor of mine, a wonderful guy named Charlie, died of a heartbreak because he was in finance. Okay. His wonderful family completely wrecked. So we have a generation of these kids who grew up being screwed by the banks. I mean, physically screwed, not just yeah. financially. And they they carry all this 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 uh, negative uh, emotions toward these banks and governments. How? How did they do this to us? You know, how about, because it's like, you know, before 2008, banks were like, like, like air. You wouldn't think about it until you, you needed it, right? Uh, and all of a sudden, the trusted, these were the trusted agencies, which are not agencies, these are for-profit companies, uh, screwed us royally. You know, and they did that without any remorse. In 2009, they paid the biggest bonuses to their management based on our, um, you know, uh, bailouts. Yeah. Right? 
So they have no shame about it. Why didn't they have any shame? Because they thought they were untouchable, too big to fail. And all of a sudden, Satoshi came, and Bitcoin came, and, and crypto came and said, wait a minute, you know, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, maybe we do have a competition. And now they're scared, right? They are so scared, and I think they're more scared of the unknown. And that's what, you know, we've built institutions about predicting the future, not predicting the future, but hedging against the future. I mean, we literally yeah. have futures markets. Uh, the Federal Reserve, all they do is try to pull the levers today to control tomorrow. We've built, like from, we've built, we've, we're all born uh, 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 in this world, going to grade school, learning that all currencies should just be completely stable all the time. We don't like unknowns. We Humanity, we don't like things like rustling in the bushes all the time. It's just against us. We're in that constant fight or flight mode. It makes us feel high and then low. We don't like those feelings. It's biology. So I think that's what it comes down to because we don't know as an industry and we're still building and it's still kind of crazy. The regulators and the governments don't know because they are in touch with us. They talk to you. You guys probably are giving amazing education to, I know that you and the mayor of Tampa are very close. And so it's like, and, and I met her at the same event that you, you were at too, that in Tampa there a few months ago. And that was really cool. But like, that's, it's scary. No one really knows. Yeah, exactly. But we, they also have the perspective of the past. I mean, they forget though. Everyone forgets. We forget. I know, but the internet about reminds everything. The, the, the internet is being, I think things have changed slightly, you know, because when Kodak saw the phones coming, there was no precedence of a Kodak being killed. When, when Blockbuster saw Netflix, there was no real precedence of a company like Blockbuster with 90,000 employees being killed. They, they felt in, invincible. But now we have that perspective. So when you talk to bankers, they have the, the Blockbuster, and we keep reminding them, right? <laughs> no, it's not like... Uh, uh, so I do think they're very they're the they're, they're shaking in the boots. I what will happen is kind of I call it the Spotify moment. Yeah, I think on, on one hand, if you look at Spotify, 15 years ago we talked about 2006. So if you go back 15 years, you had uh, I don't know um, what do you call it, uh, Emule and Napster and all this. And yeah, E Donkey and LimeWire and all we of them. Yeah, the there were so many. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And we saw all the music, and I still remember my first MP3. I was so excited about the technology and the, having the music. And, I remember. And then on the other hand, if you wanted to buy music, you would go to Tower Records and browse through the records and, and all that. None of this exists. I mean, they exist, but very fringe. Everyone now uses streaming, you know, Spotify and, and the other streaming services, right? And I think this will happen in our industry in some way or another as well. And, you know, we talk about the DeFi, the decentralized finance and the CFI, the centralized finance. And I always talk about what's in the middle, where's the border between infrastructure with this DeFi? To me, infrastructure is something that is just there. Mm. Nobody regulates it, nobody, it's like TCP IP, right? So what is the DeFi? What is the CFI? The CFI is the guys who pay taxes, who, who you know, report to the regulators, et cetera, have a CEO and CTO, et cetera, like Celsius, right? Where is the border? Where is, ah. you know, all right? So these CFIs will have to use DeFIs. And th this is where the regulators need to focus on. You know, how will you use, don't try to regulate DeFi, it's a losing proposition. Just try to regulate how CFI uses DeFi. And then, and then you have some. 
and, and this will be the that's uh, a really good movie. idea that's a really good idea i you're you're right and and you know you guys are the guardians the stewards you know of the industry because you are the 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 toll booths between entering the decentralized world and coming back because there will always be a relationship between the two and so yeah. sensible regulations would govern that because at the end of the day we want you know you need to be able to get you need to be able to hedge right you need to be able to operate a business and run a business you are the you probably want clarity more than anyone right yeah. you you have a vested interest in having regulatory clarity it's actually you brought yeah. up the kodak thing and i want to say one thing too the first song i ever downloaded i remember i'll never forget i was like kid my my dad had the computer in his in 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 uh, my parents' bedroom. Was uh, a parody song of Mumbo Number no. Five called Bagel Number no. Five, and I was like, "Do you want to eat corned beef on rye? Got matzo bagels in the corner. It was great. Like it's great. We should play it album. over. It's a parody song. It's great. Like off the Mumbo. <laughs> like a weird out song, yeah. But it's kind of cool. It was like the meme coins. Yeah. It's so so early, but then you know. I remember like, okay, is this the future of the internet? Great. You can download a parody song of some stupid song that you can already buy on a CD. Like, who cares? <laughs> There's a lot of parallels. People don't, don't see the, the very subtle. Like, we talked about voice of RP. Imagine being a company in 2006 and not having clarity if voice of RP will exist or not. You probably wouldn't use it. And look at it now. We can't live without it, right? Voice of RP is part of every business. And we're using voice of IP now, right? It's a video over IP, but similar yeah. evolution of that technology. Our conversation now wouldn't exist in 2006 because A, the technology was still not mature enough, but B, there was no clarity. Will that exist? Will that survive the regulations, right? So I think 2022, we'll see some purging by the regulators. They'll clean out the bad actors. But I see some good actors that will survive that purge. It will be like 2001 after the dot-com uh, burst. So we'll see five, 10 companies survive that, that purge. But these companies will, will be the CFI representatives of DeFi. Let me ask you a question. The dot-com bubble and burst. If you were a, I don't know if you're old enough to have went through like as a trader or investor or whatever, but maybe your friends are... If you were like a decently smart investor or trader, a retail person at home even, could you have made one in 10? Like if nine of your investments were bad after the dot-com burst, did you still have one? Like how bad was, was that compared to now? So, so I've never, ever talked about price and trading. First of all, because I'm an awful trader. But same, same. No, I am too. It. Yeah, I'm an awful trader. Every time I didn't hodl, I'm a long-term person, yeah. And, and by the way, I got I got people who develop all this uh, algo trading, uh, algorithm sophisticated, and they show me these graphs and say, wait a minute, this graph is in dollars. If I just bought Bitcoin here, I'll be up there. Why are you showing me this? So anyway, so I'm a bad trader, great hodler. However, I want to talk about one coin and one price. And that coin went out at $1.50. It jumped to 100 two years later. It jumped, it dropped to 10 a couple of years later. It went up to 3,500 in 2021, and it dropped to 2,700. You know what coin I'm talking no, about? No, which one? It's the Amazon stock. Oh my God, yeah. It's <laughs> crazy. So, so, yes, we're living in a crazy, volatile environment, but if just look at the Amazon stock. It came out at the $1.50 at 1997, all right? 
after you know if you account for all the splits and everything it was like sure. 18 yeah of course of course it went up to to 100 and then dropped to a 10 even yahoo was a good investment a couple of years until a couple of years ago i remember there was a movie there was a movie about two you know this kid who had a ham radio talking to his friend somewhere overseas and like he was able to go back in time and he talked to the guy from like 30 years ago over the radio this was what the movie about and the guy was like what advice do you have for me? He says, buy Yahoo. So yeah, maybe now exactly. it was like, buy Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember Yahoo was the, one of the survivors of the dot-com uh, bubble burst. There were, again, if you look at that, like, like I said, there's going to be five, ten companies that survived. Yeah. That, that's what happened. From all the thousands of this Cambrian explosion of innovation that came at 99, 98, and before, only five or ten companies survived to 2001. And then... It got interesting because 2004 is when all the Web 2.0 came to be, right? All the Instagrams and Facebooks and, and all these guys. So that's came. 2004 is kind of where you think Web 2.0. I, I agree because so 2004 is when I graduated, I think, elementary school or something like that. And it was yeah. 2003 when I got my first cell phone. In fact, I still have that same number. And I like I that's like my diehard. I don't use it anymore. But like, I never want to let it go because I love that. I it's like, you know, yeah, it's my part of me. I've known yeah. that number longer than I've known anything else. <laughs> you used to love them, the folding one from uh, sure. Star Trek. Uh, you open this like a uh, Star Trek. Uh, I, I miss those. And they have yeah. got the folding, uh, you know, the, I, I'll probably get one of the folding ones. If Apple months. came out with a folding phone right now, I would buy it. I like the idea of like, yeah. I want a small phone. I'm trying to go get the new iPhone mini, mini, mini. I just don't. These phones are so big. And I don't really want to use them. It's like an opposite. It's like a pullback. You know, I want well, to use my phone Samsung less now. will have a, even a stylus pen. So it's that big, you know. But uh, listen, people forget, you know, iPhone 1, 1 came in 2007. But what they don't remember is that it had nothing. There was no App Store. The App Store know. came in 2009, I think, you know, like. Apple, Apple 3GS was the first one to use 3G. That was the successful iPhone. Oh, yeah, iPhone 3GS. Yeah, you're right. I remember. That was my first iPhone. I didn't want to touch that crap before that, right? It was a terrible phone. There was nothing you could do with it. But what happened is, is when the iPhone came out, everybody got excited. What did they try to do? They tried to build websites into this phone, right? And it looked awful. It was yeah. like small websites. Small and, web uh, right? That's what it, it was. was. It was like a tiny screen with small website. Like Amazon was a bunch of hyperlinks back then, you know? I remember, yeah. So, um, so, but that's how it started. And, and it's kind of like, to me, this is like DeFi, right? DeFi started by copying the traditional finance one-to-one. -one. Like you want to do an exchange in DeFi? All right, let's build an uh, order, you know, an order book by ourselves. Yeah. And we, we had Switchio and, and, and things like that. And then people saw the potential and, and out-of-the-box thinkers like the Uniswap guys came and said, hey, how about we do something different, mathematically driven liquidity pool? That could never exist before. So now we're moving from the small websites into a small screen into apps, right? Now we're discovering the new opportunities in this, this world. And, and this is what excites me because we're really early in this game. I think the potential is, is enormous. Do you think there's a, a do you think it's possible for some uh 
Do you think we'll see 51% attacks become more, uh, like, because, okay, so when 2017 happened and a lot of the, you know, we saw that dot-com, I would argue that that was the dot-com, like, bubble and burst or whatever, because that was crazy. I mean, that going yeah. through that was one of the hardest, I don't know, 2014, 2015 was probably the hardest, but that was, because we thought back then that Bitcoin was, like, over and there were no really altcoins, but yeah. 2017 was, like, terrible, you know? Um, so... We did, you know, back then there were no financial tools like Celsius to even uh, allow people to like hedge against the future. There were no treasury management tools. No. Uh, there were no ability to borrow against your crypto. Do you think because of all that, maybe the blows and the volatility will eventually be softened? Hard for me to say. That's probably yeah. a better question for people who understand the economy better than me. But I have to say, I put an asterisk even on that comment. A lot of Nobel Prize winners in economy completely fail to understand Bitcoin and its impact on, on the economy, right? Well, they have so, vested interests because you're talking about people who have built their lives and legacies around a certain like incumbents, yeah, yeah. Certain, yeah, and then and then like so you talked about. Let's go back to Kodak for a second. If anyone is ever around Rochester, New York, go first of all drive past the old Kodak factory. It's like it's yeah. sad. It's really sad. Drive on. To the Eastman Museum, the George Eastman Kodak Museum. That's not sad. It's actually, you can go walk around his house, his former, it's a mansion, beautiful. You can, you can see all the history of film and go through that. I met the film commissioner there and she brought us, we had a private tour. It was really, really, we were doing a movie up in Rochester. And um, what did I learn from that experience? Rochester, um, Kodak had a vested interest in not the camera. This is where a lot of people didn't realize it was in film. They had the monopoly of film. So even other camera companies around the world, you'd have to send your film to Kodak in Rochester, New York, and get your film made. And then eventually, dark rooms were fought against. You know, it was cumbersome to do it yourself in your house. It was an art project. People would do dark rooms. People still actually go back to the art of like, you know, doing photography in a dark room. I would like to try that out and learn how to do that. But because of their vested interest in not realizing where they would fit into the digital camera world, how film, like what their business would be because they had vendors and suppliers. They yeah. owned all their vendors and suppliers too. So like, right. what would they do if they're not even extracting this stuff out of the ground anymore? Like where would those jobs go? And so yeah. like, I think that's what a lot of big tech and, 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 and yeah. incumbents are thinking of. They're, they're, they don't want yeah, to repeat that. You know, Blockbuster, you know, that Blockbuster. You know, even, even Blockbuster's uh, coming back. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised, but I'm saying like, let, let's give credit to the managers of this company. Let's say they're the smartest yes. guys in the room and they saw the internet coming. What would they do? Will they risk 90,000 jobs and who knows how many tens of thousands of, of branches in order to gamble on a future that they see coming, that they're like, they're stuck. They're stuck in the mud, right? And it happens again and again. So going back to your question, I think there's several aspects. One is, you know, the, 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 the truth that cannot be broken. There's only going to be 21 million Bitcoins out there. There's 50, millions, 50 million multi-millionaires in the world. It's just enough that all of them will call this broker, say, how come I don't have one of those Bitcoins, right? And they start fighting about it. So I, I don't see that ending ever, that, that bidding war about Bitcoin and, and limited supply assets. The other aspect is the, 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 you know, the balancing factor is that 
usually complex machines, the more they get complicated, they get self-organized and, and balanced in a way. This is just nature, you know, like, like an anthill. And, and if you look at society as a big complex machine, we just threw a cog into that machine, you know, we threw a wrench into the machine, oh. the society. And then the wrench is still breaking pieces of sparks flying all over the way. But I think at the end of this, we are putting just a new order into the, to the old system. And eventually as it grows, it grows, it grows and clarity becomes uh, more common for people to use it, uh, we will see more stability. And who knows, maybe we'll have a Bitcoin standard somewhere, you know, like gold standard. Wow. That's a very brilliant way of looking at it. I never thought about it that way, but, but you're right. Like even ourselves, if you throw yourself into the most, like, you know, the most stressful situation, like, like the most craziest thing in the world, that most uncomfortable thing, like, like naked and afraid, like getting stuck overnight humanity where we, most of us will survive. And it's like, we don't realize how durable we are as humans. So you're saying it's like when you throw a bunch of humans into a, into a, like a, like a place, an order is formed, like harm, uh, harmonization of humanity. I think it's called. Yeah, it's like, that's the most complicated machine humans are, but you can see it even in simpler machines. Look at the cities and sewer systems and traffic lights. Pressure like, balances out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I right? never thought about it like that. Like so, even how the hot water comes out of your shower and it's all based on harmonization of pressure. Yeah, it, it always reminds me of the old Star Trek Next Generation episode where what happened is that the computer of the enterprise became so complex that it created its own little uh, son computer, <laughs> like a, a sibling. Oh my God. And that, yeah, so, and, and that theory was there, it said, Eventually, they, they tried to figure out how this, that happens, and the, the computer got so complicated that it started to do, you know, surviving. In order to survive, it created its own sibling. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, so. So, yeah, I think I think in in in, in general, and that's kind of world, scary now because we've never had like a value attached to computers before, and now we're talking yeah. about like total value locked in some of these blockchains. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can see like some like metavirus or something like that go around you, and try you, to like take over blockchain. Funny, so Could that be a that... thing? Could that be ever possible? Could you have like a blockchain hopping, 51% attacking type of like computing power taking over some a botnet that goes in, like targets hashing power and takes over blockchains and disappears without a trace, steals people's uh, land and decentralized. You know, the the, the I'm going to write that scripted the... podcast series and release it. That's a great idea. <laughs> No, no, but the whole idea of Satoshi and the proof of work was exactly explaining that. He said, all right, this is possible, but is it worth the attacker to do that? You know, right? So maybe in a bear a, market. You need a, a bigger stake, then you have a lot more to lose than you have to win if you do that. That's the whole idea of proof of work, right? Um, so look, I, I don't know really, but I think I think now it's like the complex systems that organize itself almost have an intelligence to it, right? And add yeah. to that, by the way, we're living in the most amazing time in, in human history because up until now, every 10 or 15 years, we had one technology that will change the world. It was the PC, it was the internet, mobile, you know, web 2.0, uh, 
uh, etc. So every time there was one technology, it says, whoa, society has changed. We all know all, all our faces are on the iPhone now. That was one technology that changed smartphone, changed our world. We have seven technologies. If you, you talk about Kathy Wood, she talks about five, but I think, I think it's seven technologies. All of them are science fiction level disruption. You know, we talk about AI and you talk yeah, about 3D yeah. space and blockchain. So in the next 15 years, we have time seven or the power of seven changes. The, the reason I'm mentioning it, because I think that AI will play a role in the future of how blockchains run and being monitored. And I always said, you know, when I started- No, I think that's true. You always said what? Yeah, when I started dealing with cryptocurrencies, I said, we're not making money for humans. We're making money for machines. This will be a way for machines to self-organize. Imagine, I I actually wrote somewhere about this. I need to find that article. But uh, like years and years ago, I wrote that, imagine you drive a car and the car in order to open the garage, pays the garage to open. And it's using the solar panel on the roof to generate uh, uh, currencies. Okay, and that currency oh, wow. goes to electricity. You have a lot of systems that are disconnected, but they have a common um, organizing factor, which is a cryptocurrency. So we may have created something that we think we're getting rich, but at the end of the day, we created something for our own creation to organize itself. My favorite part about this show is like talking about the social impacts of how this technology has been changing. And this has been such a phenomenal show. Thank you so much, Newt Goldstein, CTO of Celsius. Um, I'm very excited. Just for a second, can you tell people a little bit more about Celsius, the app, and some of the products that you guys have? Yeah, yeah. So Celsius basically invented the the, the, the yield on on your currency. You know, check it out like a savings account, right? So you open an account with us, you transfer in Bitcoin. We we support about fifty coins plus now. And uh, the, the, the original, the, the, the core value of us is that you earn uh, uh, yield rewards. Every Monday, you open your email and say, hey, you, you added more Bitcoin on your Bitcoin, et cetera. We're also offering loans. So yeah, let's say you know, we still live in a cash, in a dollar society. You, know, you need to buy a house. Or you need to buy a sponsor a startup or something like that. And you don't want... If you're like me, you believe Bitcoin will always go up or your crypto uh, will go up and you don't want to uh, lose it, um, you just take a loan against it as collateral and within 24 hours, you get cash from us. And But now we're looking into the future. And, and uh, um, by the way, just one more word on this. We modeled our company on one slogan, which is do good and then do well, meaning we, like don't, we are the first company in history that said we are not going to squeeze our, the people who trust us for every dime that we can. In fact, I think at the end of the day, not only we don't charge fees, we actually are paying for blockchain fees. We paid, I think, I can't remember the number, 15 or $20 million That's so insane, yeah. blockchain fees. Because we know how to take these funds and, and, and create yield on them. And, and we always expand our, you know, we're a very sophisticated camp company behind the scenes on how we generate yield. We're one, we're one if not the biggest uh, Bitcoin miner in North America. We invested about half a billion dollars in mining 
crypto in uh, uh, you know greens. Uh, but we're focused on Bitcoin at this point. We were lucky too. We, we started this whole operation a month before China decided to uh, shut shut down. So, uh, and yeah, wow, we, we, timing we is amazing. Yeah, and we and we focused on North America. We didn't want to, to go elsewhere, and uh, we use green energy, um, you know, etc. So, but the future, where are we going? So you can see glimpses of that. We have a, a branch called Census X, which was a spin-off of my R and D group, and these are the smartest guys, uh, some of the smartest guys in in the industry. And uh, we just released uh, uh, recently a, a cross-chain liquidity solution. So oh. the way we explain this is imagine, you know, you had an email system and you had to specify in the email, are you using Verizon or AT&T or whatever? We want it to be seamless to the users. And what you can do now is you can deposit if into Polygon or withdraw ADA from if. Yeah, and we do this using wrapping, and we uh, partnered with. Uh, Can Chain you use that to that. save gas fees for yourself or different exactly. fees? Yeah. So I want to send ADA to on Polygon, not uh, you know. Uh, so we do all this wrapping and bridging, and it just went live this week, and uh, you'll see more and more coming out. We're doing now a Dogecoin and uh, uh, ADA and uh, others. You see more coins coming and through, and more blockchains supported. So we're creating, yeah. we're kind of unifying all the blockchains and making it seamless to the user. Uh, and we're looking beyond that. You know, once um, once things get stabilized in the CFI and banking, and everybody wants to do crypto, and and big banks who are right now on the fence will eventually discover, see the light, and say, "Oh, sure. we have to play along, or don't want to become Kodak." Uh, they will need tools. Right, and these tools don't exist right now. And we are, since day one at Celsius, we have been building tools. That that was the toughest thing for engineering. There were no off-the-shelf solutions. We had yeah, you had to rebuild everything. everything. Right. So uh, you know, we were the first ones to use MPC, for example, uh, MPC multi-party computation. That's and now it's like the common tool for institutions to use crypto because you don't want one guy to have the private key or something. Yeah. So in MPC. So we are constantly innovating and moving forward. We're not resting on our laurels and uh, we see big future. We're firm believers, believers in DeFi and, and the technology and uh, exciting times. New Goldstein, thank you so much for coming on Unsold Stories today. It's a pleasure, Charlie. We'll do it again, huh? Yeah.